Welcome to the Ohio Music Heritage Project, a podcast dedicated to telling the stories of Ohio's many historic places through interviews and music. My name is Clint Holly, and my goal is to record part of each of these podcasts inside these historic venues in order for the story to be told not only by us, but by the places themselves. In the summer of 2018, Roots of American Music was able to record singer-songwriter David Childers inside the Lewis Penfield Home, a building designed by Frank Lloyd Wright in Willoughby Hills, Ohio. So kick back and enjoy the story of Taliesin 5909, the ghost of Frank Lloyd Wright. Frank Lloyd Wright is a giant of American culture. Arguably the finest architect America has ever produced, people from all over the world flock to see his buildings to gain insight into how his mind worked and to soak up the beauty of these structures. But did you know that Frank's final set of residential blueprints were never constructed? Did you know that these blueprints are not in a museum or an archive, but in the hands of private owners in an eastern suburb of Cleveland, Ohio? Today, we will tell the story of Lewis Penfield and Taliesin 5909. The story begins in the early 1950s. Lewis Penfield was an artist and an acquaintance of Frank Lloyd Wright's personal secretary, Eugene Maslink. Let's listen to Lewis's son, Paul, tell us how this came about. But he did have a contact within Frank Lloyd Wright's community of uh, apprentices. And that was uh, a guy that he went to uh, school with in Ohio State. Uh, Later ended up as uh, Frank Lloyd Wright's private uh, secretary. So he was able to contact the inner circle through that uh, acquaintanceship. And what about what time frame would this have been? That would have been in the hmm, early 50s. Lewis, it seems, was compelled to create all of the time, and although two sets of blueprints were eventually sent to him, he struggled to complete the first structure that currently stands on the Willoughby Hills property. Uh, My parents uh, were the happy recipients of two Frank Lloyd Wright designs. Okay. The first one is built and was more or less completed by, let's say, 1956. Okay. My dad received word that uh, I-90 was going to take the house when they built it. Correct. come right through there. But um, the guy who lived across the river was a member of the uh, uh, paint family. Glidden? No. Sherwin-Williams. Sherwin-Williams. It was John Sherwin. Okay. John Sherwin lived across the river, and it, he just went around pulling up the stakes that the uh, surveyors put in for the highway. <laughs> <laughs> Grassroots uh, yeah, protest. Yeah, there right. you go. Yeah, well, he had plenty of money, so nobody came to arrest him, right? <laughs> right? But he did have one good point. He said, you can't build here because uh, all of this ground is blue shale. It cannot possibly support the kind of bridge that you're thinking of putting in. Okay. So it turned out he was right. So they moved it north uh, about five, 600 yards. Right. So that'll enable the current house that's down there to survive to the present day. Wow. Okay. Now, what are the circumstances behind the second structure not being built? And I've heard that there's plans for the current owners that they received those plans when they purchased the property and that they might try and build that uh, structure. Well, I certainly hope they do, and right. I hope I'm, I'm on hand to assist them in any way I can, certainly with moral support. Right. And uh, the, the second structure, the way it went was, okay, if you remember the first half of the story, my dad sent off the topography 
And then out of nowhere, uh, you know, he you, you would usually receive plans in the mail without any forewarning, right? Right. I mean, no contract other than an oral agreement. So what happened was my uh, my dad uh, was waiting around and waiting around, and then Wright died. So we thought, well, that's the end of that, right? Well, the week of his funeral, this long mailing tube arrives, and inside is the original drawing for what is Frank Lloyd Wright's last residential commission. Wow. So, That's pretty amazing. <laughs> we, we were amazed. We were amazed. Yeah. Why, uh, what were the circumstances that you guys as a family never built that structure? Well, I think for the first thing is um, my uh, dad ran out of the wherewithal. Right. You, you know, on a, on a high school teacher's salary, uh, there's only so much you can do. Plus, he wanted to get on with other things in life. You know, creative people are always wandering off uh, far afield, <laughs> you know, saying, okay, let me try my hand at sheep herding or whatever. You know, so. Whatever fancy comes yeah, that way. Right. But your father had built a uh, studio on the property, correct? That's no he, longer there? Uh, no, it's still there, but my dad built studios everywhere he went. <laughs> Every structure has a soul, a history. Part of the word history itself is story, and by recording David Childers in the Lewis Penfield house, we tried to capture some of that soul. A quick side note is in order. Myself and my partner, Dave Polster, own a recording studio called The Ernest Tube. We record using what is called direct-to-disc recording. Field recordings in the early 20th century were made using a turntable encased in a suitcase which has a cutting apparatus called an overhead lathe attached to it. Audio from a single microphone is literally carved into the surface of the disc and can be played back on a home turntable. Here is a song from the Penfield House called Cincinnati. Well, I want to be in Cincinnati where the Ohio River rose Like a big brown ribbon To the south I wanna hear Them river barges moan See the girl from New Orleans Who wants to go back home Well I want to be in Cincinnati That's where I belong at a baseball game in Cincinnati. The summer sun shone white and warm, and the stars came out like bursting diamonds, and the city lights shone all night long. Then the autumn chills set in, and snow began to fall. Sealing up the hearts of Cincinnati in a vault of gilded dreams. How long ago was it since I landed there? I had stronger legs in Cincinnati, stronger lungs and arms like steel. And the beer was sweet when that old whistle blew the workday to an end. She would meet me by the bridge 
and take me by the hand. Yeah, I want to be in Cincinnati. That's where I belong. Yeah, I want to be in Cincinnati, where the Ohio River rolls like a big brown ribbon to the south I want to hear them river barges moan see the girl from New Orleans who wants to go back home yeah I want to be in Cincinnati that's where I belong Tucked away on 10 acres of wooded property, yards away from the Chagrin River, about 20 miles east of Cleveland, Ohio, sits the Lewis Penfield House. Officially designated Taliesin 5303 in the Frank Lloyd Wright Register, the structure is modest in size and commingles with the landscape around it. He also said that a good building is one that does not hurt the landscape that makes the landscape more beautiful. Do you think that is manifested in the Penfield House? Oh, absolutely. He's spot on with that. And you've been there. Mm-hmm. You've seen this more or less this glass wall facing away from the highway. Even even though the road itself is 500 feet away, it's the house has been turned away from River Road and faces the river in the cliff. Right. And so, uh, when you if you want to experience wildlife, that's the house to do it in. Right. I mean, I've seen coyotes and turkeys and. Um, and just about anything that that is uh, uh, wildlife related down there. It's wonderful. Prominent vertical lines are evident and a floating narrow staircase leads to the second floor. Lewis Penfield was tall and the house expresses the height of Mr. Penfield. We know that his height was a consideration because of this episode recalled by Paul Penfield. And my dad sees the opportunity. He says, Mr. Wright, could you design a house for someone as tall as me? My dad is six foot eight. Wow. Think LeBron James. Right. Right. And uh, Wright said, go stand under that beam over there. And so my dad went over, stood under the beam. And Wright said, you're a, you're six foot eight, aren't you? Because that, that beam is six foot nine. And <laughs> so he barely fit under the beam. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so without any further discussion, Wright spun on his heels. He said, Eugene, we have to, we have to go to uh, Madison today. So uh, he left. By the 1950s, Frank was deep into his Usonian period. Houses designed and built for middle-class families. Frank seemed to always be on the cutting edge of new building technologies, and sometimes his vision might have been ahead of not only the materials available at the time, but the talent needed to construct the houses. The Usonian period was characterized by houses made for middle-class people such as Lewis Penfield and John Dobkins. Let's listen to the current owner of the Dobkins house in Canton, Ohio, Dan Chernowski, talk about this. Usonians were designed for the middle class, people without deep pockets. Correct. Okay? 
He wanted to save money for the clients. Right. So whatever he could do to cut the costs, he did. And in many cases, his buildings, his Usonians are considered a little underbuilt. Okay. Cantilevers that are failing, sagging. Right. And if he used steel, that would not happen. Right. And proof of that is anybody who's in Chicago, stop by the Roby house okay. <laughs> with these huge cantilevers. I think that's a 1904 design for Mr. Roby. Steel galore. Right. Mr. Roby had deep pockets. Louis <laughs> <laughs> Penfield did not have deep pockets, but his physical stature made this a Frank Lloyd Wright project with very unique features. Well, the, the Penfield house does reflect my dad's height. And you can see it in the ribbon windows from the exterior of the design. They're narrow, which he was, and tall. Um, the stairway going up to the second floor is very narrow. Right. But the treads are really wide because tall people have big feet. <laughs> right. <laughs> so so uh, there was that, that. The ceiling in the main living room is 12 feet high, which is... Somewhat unusual for a lot of Wright's architecture because Wright himself was uh, about the uh, stood about as tall as an end table, and uh, <laughs> and he 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 thought the universe should accord uh, itself to his dimensions. Come down to his dimensions, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> but I will say this: uh, of all the world's famous architects, Frank Lloyd Wright is the only one who went on designing single-family homes after he became prominent. Right. He was determined that Americans would have access to elegant architecture at an affordable price, and that's what he did. Lewis, as we have stated, was an artist, and although the family lived in the first house built on the property, Taliesin 5303, it was never properly completed and lived a somewhat sordid life until Paul took the task upon himself to finish slash restore the house. When we grew up in the house, none of that was there. Dad didn't quite finish the house. Okay. So it was left to me to put in all the uh, all, all of the original furniture, which I don't know if it's original or not. It's the furniture that was designed to go there, which was never installed. What I did, because there was an awful lot of black cherry trees growing on the property, I thought, okay, uh, the natural house. Let me harvest some of that uh, superior hardwood and make the furniture with that. What time period would that have occurred in? That would have started in the, uh, let's say, 2001, 2003. Really? Yeah. Okay. Let's take a short break from our story and listen to more of David Childers recorded live in the front room of the Penfield House on a sunny day in 2018. On first glance, the Penfield House does not seem like it would make a very good recording studio. A lot of glass and a lot of flat surfaces seem like it would be very reflective and would not sound very good for live music. On the contrary, the room had a very tight sound and lent itself very well to David's style and his rhythm of music. Let's listen to a song called A Good Way to Die. There ain't no way to live, it's a good way to die. Blaying a trail with tears in your eyes. Doing the circuit, my wife's got crossed. Out in the storm, you're easily lost. Between the sun and the pouring rain, heading out 
they're back again. Ain't no way to live, it's a good way to die. Blazing trail with tears in your eyes, tears in your eyes, tears in your eyes. Blazing trail with tears in your eyes. I woke up face down, the Mexican ground Heads up for the moment, the truth come down Rave on memories, fire of hell Retribution for what I did well Ain't no way to live, so good way to die Blame the trail with tears in your eyes Tears in your eyes, tears in your eyes Blame the trail with tears in your eyes Tears in your eyes, tears in your eyes Laying the trail with tears in your eyes Okay, I'll tell you a few family, uh, uh, some some dirty laundry here. My, <laughs> okay. my mom would rent to anyone who had cash. Okay. Right? She wasn't living there at the time. Okay. Right. Um, and one of the people that showed up with a lot of cash was a guy who was in a motorcycle gang. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I kid you not. <laughs> and they always had cash i don't know where they got, got it, it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh she rented to him one of those guys i think parked his motorcycle inside the house really yeah yeah but there was all kinds of shenanigans that went on down there owning a house designed by frank is the dream of many people but does not come without its own unique set of quirks both paul penfield and dan chernowski talked about two unique set of challenges first the common issue of dealing with an older building and design flaws. Secondly, living inside what most of the general public considers a museum. Let's listen to Dan and Paul talk about these topics. Do you have people just show up at your house taking pictures and, you know, that kind yeah, of stuff? Yeah, you do, you do. Yeah. And I, I guess I really noticed it after I retired from American Greetings, and that's been 11 years now, where I don't have to get up, shower, get dressed, and take off. So I'm gone all day. Right. And then I come home in late afternoon or evening, and I'm there. And I see odd cars slowing down. You, you needed to hear this. Our two granddaughters, twins, they were at the house. We always kidnap them, uh, like, the third week in August before they go back to school. school right. And they stay with their papa and nana in Canton without their parents. Right. 
And it's always good fun for us and good fun for them. So they're sitting on a built-in settle, and there are, it's all glass and windows behind them. I'm sitting at the dining table having a cold bowl of cereal, and they're like looking at me and we're chit-chatting. But I can see as I'm chatting with them, across the street, I see this car double parked. Nobody parks there. And I could see a little red light and then shh, a flash. I said, girls, turn around. Tell me what you see. And then, you know, another five, ten seconds, you see the red light and shh. And Mira turns around. She says, Papa, are you famous? <laughs> I said, no. I said, but the house is. right. And only at that, when they experience that themselves, they realize, hey, something's different This is here. special, right. This is different. Right. And uh, there have been books published that have maps <laughs> show you how to find really? every Frank Lloyd Wright right house. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was nothing for us to uh, come downstairs in our bathrobes. <laughs> and, and there would be strangers out on the front lawn, you know, with cameras, you know. Right. <laughs> so... Uh, uh, you know, see, there's this thing that Frank Lloyd Wright is a historic American icon, right? Which confers in the uh, imaginations of most people that it's a public place, right? And people have stood there saying, "No, I, I thought the Metro Parks owned this." No, 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 no. Even though there are a lot of challenges to owning a Frank Lloyd Wright house, it doesn't deter people from wanting to own these significant pieces of history. In the spring of 2019, I set up an interview with the current owner, Sarah Dykstra, and her nephew, Dylan, to talk about how they found the house and what their plans are for the future of the property. Never in my life would I have thought that this was going to happen. I also asked Sarah if she knew about the plans for the unbuilt River Rock house on the property, and she explained how she found out about that and how that uh was important to them in the decision to purchase the house? Um, I didn't know that there was plans up until about two minutes into reading it because it was a part of the listing right. and a part of his penfield.com or penfieldhouse.com site. Okay. Um, so I found out pretty quickly and I was just blown away that that was even a reality. Right. You know, my could be my reality. I finally asked a question that everybody wants the answer to. Are you going to build the unbuilt house? And here's Sarah with her answer. Is it your intention to build this house? It is. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> what kind of timeline do you have on I that? I have no idea. <laughs> the idea of family and legacy is very important to Sarah and her family. This is a large property. It has several houses on it, one that goes back as far as 1876. And uh, there's going to be a lot of upkeep, not only to the Penfield house, but also a huge project in constructing the, the new house. So Sarah speaks about uh, the family legacy and um, how important it was to get her family on board with the project. Was this whole decision, was this a family decision? It, was. it yeah. absolutely was. I mean, yeah. I showed my brother the the listing and the one thing he said was 100% all in. Wow. So that was cool. Because that, I, mean, I couldn't do it without them. I really couldn't. I've told them that from the beginning. Um, just having them be a part of it and be you know behind it and excited about it and right you know because it can be overwhelming i mean i owned a, a house right and now i own a lot of houses and land right <laughs> and it, with historical significance right so this is like a family legacy project then that you it are is. it is and, <laughs> right. and when i submitted my offer to paul i actually wrote him a letter because yeah. it really struck with us what we wanted to do and 
and it was I, I thought that it was something that would interest the current owner to be able to hand it off to right. a generation or two right. <laughs> or three of people. Right. You yeah. Know? Are you, are you going to be living here, Dylan? Is that like well, part, of, uh, part of the plan? We'll yeah. see. You know, he's allowed yeah. to do whatever he wants, but he <laughs> loves it here. <laughs> you run around on the property a lot? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you have it. It looks like the fate of Taliesin 5909 is in good hands with the Dykstras, and it appears that their family will be holding onto this property for quite some time. Dylan was very enthusiastic about his love for the property and his desire to someday live by the river. So, if you're in the market for a Frank Lloyd Wright house, I don't think this one will be on the market anytime soon. Since I entitled this episode, The Ghost of Frank Lloyd Wright, it only seems appropriate that I leave you with David Childers singing a song called The Ghost of Cleveland. I'm heading south With the ghost of Cleveland Fading in My rearview mirror A gentle breeze From off Lake Erie Whispers close As I go Southern heart 
The Ohio Heritage Music Project is brought to you by Roots of American Music. My name is Clint Holly, and I've been your host. Other technical assistance has been provided by Kevin Richards, who served as scribe on many of the interviews, and John McDonald, the president of Roots of American Music. The Ernest Tube recording crew is myself, Clint Holly, and Dave Polster. Dave Polster also adds a lot of technical assistance to these programs. We also have to thank some special people. The Ohio Arts Council provided money for the Ohio Heritage Music Project, and we would like to thank them. And also, a special thanks goes out to Cuyahoga Arts and Culture. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Ohio Heritage Music Project and look forward to producing many more. If you would like to donate to Roots of American Music, please check out our website at www.rootsofamericanmusic.org. We also have a presence on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so please follow us on those platforms. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Hey nerds, I'm Sarah, the paper nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, The Paper Fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network.